As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I hope anybody's not stupid enough to write this off. Hello and welcome to Two Stars, the Nottingham Forest podcast from The Athletic. We're a newish podcast and every week we break down all the news and notes regarding the two-time European champions. It's not been that positive so far, but we live in hope. On this episode, we celebrate that glorious four minutes in Norwich. We look ahead to the upcoming games with Sheffield Wednesday and Brentford. Oh dear. Uh, we'll also hear from Forza Garibaldi on their recent meeting with some of the power brokers at the city ground. Available for free wherever you get your pods and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Two Stars. Yes, welcome along, gang. Matt Davis-Adams here, joined as ever by the two men who know all, or at least most, that there is to know about Nottingham Forest. Uh, live and direct from his palatial hotel suite in East Anglia, <laughs> having covered the Reds' defeat against Norwich on Wednesday night, it's The Athletic's Forest correspondent, Paul Taylor. Hi, Paul. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, you got your big plate? <laughs> Already been there and done that. Uh, COVID <laughs> rules made breakfast weird, but uh, still a big, pri- a big plate of bacon and sausage was enjoyed. Yes, we, we, we did well. Stuff. <laughs> uh, with Paul, not literally, the man who puts the fun into forest fundamentalism is Nick Miller. Hi, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, hello, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, here's this week's question to kick us off. Forest play Sheffield Wednesday next week. According to Transfermarkt, the Reds have signed five players from Wednesday since 1984, the most recent in 2014. Let's see how many of them we can name. Um, Paul, you can go first. Anybody Forest have signed from Sheffield in that time? Oh, Christ. Did they sign Carlton Palmer years ago? Oh, no. He came from Southampton, I think. That Yeah, yeah. horrible when... Big Ron got £1.1 million to spend on players and spent a million of it on Carlton Palmer. Um, I'll let you have some thinking time, Nick. Yeah, I do love it when you drop these on us, massively. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris Bart-Williams? Yes, July the 1st, 1995. Paul, any closer? No. Nick, can you get any more? I think I've got what? Uh, Des Walker? Des Walker is correct. Oh, yes. what a call that one is. Uh, here's a clue. Somebody who is currently playing as a Premier League centre-forward. For a London club, oh, I know, I know what they want, but I've got, I've, I'm, oh, I'll steal if Paul doesn't get it. 
tension is palpable over the I'll tell you airwaves. what, I, that, that, this big breakfast has not helped me this morning, has it? <laughs> I, 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 I literally, I, I feel like I'm working through a cloud. I, I can't come up with a single name. This is terrible. I resign immediately. Bacon. <laughs> Go on then, Nick, steal it. Mikel Antonio. Mikel Antonio is oh. correct. Uh, there are two more to get. One of them <laughs> is a former forest manager, albeit an incredibly unsuccessful Gary one. Gary Megson. Yes. Hey! <laughs> He's away in the game. sea of bacon. <laughs> the last one, Nick, I'll be really impressed if you can get it. It's actually it's another striker. It was somebody who I always liked because he was very workmanlike, albeit not particularly prolific. This is around the kind of 2010-2011 era. Uh, Marcus Tudgay. Yes. Well oh. done. What a start. Uh, okay, before we begin, let me remind you that right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect Christmas present for any football fan. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Wave goodbye to 2020. Say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It's the perfect present for yourself and someone else. Just go to theathletic.com slash forestpod and sign up now. Right, before we talk football, let's talk the football club. Forza Garibaldi's Matt Oldroyd was part of a group who had an audience with CEO Janos Frentzos, Chairman Nicholas Randall QC and Director Johnny Owen this week. Matt joins us next. Um, Matt, how did this, this meeting come about? Did you approach the club or, or vice versa? Um, it actually came about because we, uh, I suppose in the, the anguish of uh, another defeat last week at Reading on Saturday, we, we sort of said we sort of said on Twitter that maybe there's a time now where we need to start hearing a bit more from the club. Of course, that's not going to necessarily change results, we know that, but maybe there's a little bit of hope out there that we can gather on, on certain things. So we, we said something, didn't, didn't do anything more than that, didn't chase anybody and we got a, we got a message come through to say, do you fancy coming down and having a chat? Um, and we did. Nice. Um, a lack of communication with the fans has, has been a bit of a concern of late. You raised those concerns. Can you, can you tell us what was proposed by the club to try and improve it? Well, um, first of all, they, they, I think it was quite quite refreshing in that they were they were prepared to sort of listen and, and actually on a couple of occasions hold the hands up and say, you know what, okay, well, there was this reason and this reason, but okay, we, we acknowledge we, we might not have got it quite right. Um, and then at, the, at the end of that conversation, we we were sort of asked to say, what what haven't we done very well? And of course, there was only myself and, and, and Greg there. So I guess in a way, we were only really speaking for ourselves and, and no wider audience. But we, we pointed to a few areas, um, areas that everybody kind of knows, really. Um, but and then we were asked, well, let's not let's not say what we think. What what do you propose? So we, we put forward a couple of ideas about sort of some some form of direct communication i think in fairness the fan groups that exist we all we all want to do the best um that we can but but ultimately the 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 club need to speak to everybody not just individuals who are effectively part of these groups so it was kind of quite quite refreshing that they they put it back to us to say actually what do you think we should do Matt, you wrote uh, in a, a, a blog on the forza garibaldi site um a little while ago um, that uh, groups like Forest, Forza Garibaldi exist in a state of limbo where we only appear to be utilised when it suits um, and we've always said we're not representative of the wider fan base. I suppose I've got two questions about that. Firstly, um, is there sort of any indication that that 
point where you say only utilized where it suits do you think there's any indication that that is going to change but secondly um you said we always said we're not representative of the wider fan base um do you do you kind of that seems to be quite I imagine that's quite frustrating for you that you kind of are viewed as a kind of uh, as representatives of the wider fan base. Um, I mean, is that the case? Or is that frustrating for Forza? I'll, I'll go with that second question first, Nick. The um, I wouldn't say it's frustrating. We have been asked on occasions by fans and also the club about um, our our sort of position and how we want to do things, and we've always stressed all of us that we we don't we don't necessarily want that role, but I guess. I guess there is an element of, of us saying, look, we, we'll help where we can. It's all unofficial. It's all independent. And we, we always try and find that middle ground. And this week has been a little bit tough, really, because we know what we've said. But then, in a way, this week, we've kind of put views forward that I guess fans have wanted to hear. So it, it, it's strange. I wouldn't call it frustrating, Nick. Um, I'd just say that we're always trying to find that um, that sort of balance between not getting too involved in politics. Ultimately, we are, we are people that want to do sort of positive stuff in the ground, the displays obviously that people know about. Um, but in a time where fans haven't really got that much of an audience with the club, I guess we kind of thought, well, maybe we should step up here and, and at least try and do something. And that's all it was, just trying to do something positive. Um, in answer to your first question about the limbo statement, yeah, I'm, I'll try and answer it briefly in that this meeting should hopefully lay groundwork for better things for us and for everybody everybody in the fan base that that's that's the aim in terms of we could come out and talk about all sorts of things that were said in this meeting um and and have some sort of great everybody will think oh well we know this we know that but that's not the aim of that we want the club to come out and start talking about this we want them to do it continuously over well over the length of the whole regime really um we've been frustrated that things since lockdown uh, we've not we've not shied away from this. We think the club have been pretty poor on pretty poor on certain things. Staff, the, the, even back way, way back to things like the furlough. Certainly the season cards. We ourselves had this issue where we put loads and loads of work into making the ground look really well. In our, in my own opinion, really fantastic during the sort of the project restart era last summer. And it's not that we we want thanks from it, not at all. But we got to a point where all the flags got removed, including loads of sort of fan owned flags that people had dropped off for us to to use and. They just all got, they just all disappeared and we didn't, they were popping back in the ground occasionally, no one was talking to us, so we, we, we made a bit of a, we made a bit of a comment that it wasn't, it wasn't great. On the grand scheme of things, flags going out the ground isn't, isn't a huge issue, but that was kind of what we were, what we were getting a bit frustrated about, that, that sort of stuff that was just not being come back to us on. The flags thing is, uh, it is kind of important though. did you get an answer on, on what happened there in your meeting yesterday? Yeah, well, we actually had a bit of a dialogue on this a few weeks ago um, with a couple of other people at the club, and I think I think that's been resolved in a way. I wouldn't say the club came out and sort of apologised, but they certainly acknowledged that yeah, they they could have they could have done it better. Our issue really was that our flags are generally stored in the ground, and whatever happens to them, they're always going to stay there. But there were a lot of sort of I spoke to one fan in particular who had like a sentimental flag that was at the ground sort of passed out a couple of generations and he had no idea what had happened to it couldn't get a response so these are little things we we know that and flags are not that important but um it just was a was an example for us of a little bit of a disregard uh sort of for the, all the work that had gone in by many people and it just sort of came to a bit of a sad end really I guess but my, my question would be a really simple one and that that would be that 
after this meeting, after talking to the club hierarchy, did did you feel encouraged that things were going to change? Yeah, there, there, there was a moment, Paul, um, where the CEO Yanis, who we, we made the point that nobody, nobody in the fan base really knows who who Yanis is, and that might count against him in a way. We we know that the last guy, the last owner, wanted his face everywhere, and I'm certainly not gonna I'm certainly not gonna criticise anybody, whether it's uh, Mr. Marinakis or Yanis or anybody. For not for, for, for shying away from that, but there, there is a little bit of a middle ground there, I think. And um, we we made that point and said, look, that actually, of course, it's 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 the individual's call, I guess. Um, but we made the point that nobody really hears, nobody really gets any sense of who this guy is and and and, and what he thinks. So um, we put that to him, and there was a moment. Um, I don't think I'm going too far when I say this. There was a moment where where Yanis made quite a quite a passionate and, and spirited speech, quite feisty, certainly not negative in any way, and was, was very positive. And actually, um, Greg, who I was with, just, just stopped and said, that's exactly what the fans want to hear, we think. I mean, I won't go into any details of what it was about, but it was all positive stuff. There was nothing sensitive in there. And it was thinking, oh, where's the, where, where is this? We, we could hear this, and that would be fantastic. And again, I will keep stressing, it won't necessarily change results, and they, of course, have got to be the most important thing. But I can't help, personally, think that a little bit more of this would, would help. We did walk away thinking, feeling a little bit better, but the frustration laying, myself and one other walking away feeling a tiny bit better, isn't really going to help matters. This needs to be getting out um, to the wider audience. And they, they've probably got some easy wins in there, Paul, some of this stuff, the ground development and stuff like that. We talked a little bit about that. The club, the club have got no real news on that, but they have got some level of news, and it's become one of them things because it never gets mentioned. People think it's not happening anymore. The club could actually put that one to bed quite easily. Yeah, people just need some kind of reassurance, don't they, that, that it is still going ahead. You know, we we all know, and I won't say I'm any different to this. We all know what social media gets like, especially when we're not going to games. There's there's this level of hysteria, um, and it's quite quite right at the moment. I won't I won't deny why it's there. But people, I can't help thinking, well, the one, the one tangible thing that the, the club have put down, the owners have put down, is that they're going to redevelop the stadium. Well, in my view, considering there was um, takeover rumours last week, and I know they were squashed and stuff like that, but the one thing that I think would tie these owners to us for the long term and, and make us feel a little bit better is this new stand. Um, now, I know the things aren't necessarily intrinsically linked, but I, I would feel... If I could get an update that the stand and the ground development is happening, I would I would feel a little bit better that there is a long term aim here, and that events of the summer were a, hopefully a blip, and and, and I, I think I would personally feel a little bit better, and I think I think so would a few others. Um, so that's exactly what we asked about, and they said, in their own words, that they would consider that and look to brief supporters as best they could. Let's hope that that's the case. Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. Where's the best place for people to keep up with the latest from Forza Garibaldi? Um, well, I guess I guess it's on our social media, which you'll generally find, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. There's a website, ForzaGaribaldi.com, I think. Um, so, yeah, we're about. You will, uh, you, you'll find us with a quick search. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, thanks again. All the best and, and, and well done for getting that sit down. It, it sounds like it, it was beneficial to you guys, but hopefully for the, for the wider fan base too. Yeah, hopefully. I guess time will tell. Thanks a lot. Um, Paul, just off the back of what Matt was saying there, he mentioned those rumours last week. You, you tweeted that that you'd heard that the club definitely isn't for sale. Is this one of those things where it starts as kind of a slow burn and then picks, picks up some traction or were you told unequivocally this is nonsense? 
it's interesting because the club actually went out of the way to contact us. It wasn't a question we'd asked. I, I got a message uh, in the afternoon on the day that this this kind of speculation started, and it, it was very unequivocal. It just said uh, the club is not in capital letters for sale. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't think they could be any more any more clear than than that. Uh, but I agree entirely with what Matt said about the, the ground redevelopment. I think if they were able to show their commitment to something like that, if they were able to show that that stand was happening, uh, I think a lot of people would, would you know, stop any nervousness or trepidation about the long-term commitment of the owners to the club. That would immediately send out the message that they were here for the long haul and intended to, to do exactly what they said and, 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 and show some real ambition for the future of Nottingham Forest. Yep, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next weeks and months. Never a dull moment with Forest, that's for sure. OK, next up for us today, let's talk Norwich. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. So, on Wednesday, Forrest scored a goal. It was an inadvertent one, but it still counts. Uh, in the end, it didn't matter too much, though, as the Reds went down 2-1 at Leaders Norwich. Um, Paul, you were there. Admittedly, Forrest kept a full complement of players for this game, which always helps, but it, it was loads better than Reading on Saturday. Yeah, I was very careful in the way I worded things on, on social media and in, in the report afterwards, because... Forests were better. They improved. There were, there were areas of their game in which they uh, were substantially better than they'd been against against Reading, for example. This was more akin to their performance against Watford when they did show a bit of character and determination. It, it was just so frustrating because for all the, the decent defending and all the solid organisation they had at the back and, and the fact that they did create one or two chances, or well, more than one or two chances, good chances for the likes of Joe Lolly, who hit the post, Sammy Amiobi missed a couple... Uh, it was all undone by by again another another goal that that, that owed a lot to Forrest's own incompetence. To be frank, you know there was two two errors at the back, one from Christie, one from uh, Ribeiro, and all of a sudden, just before half time, Norwich are ahead, and it just it just changed the course of the game. Like, yes, Norwich had had spells where they're on top, where they were dominant, where they did make Forrest defend really well to 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 keep a clean sheet up to that point, and and. Bree Samba had to make a couple of really good saves as well, but that's what he's there to do. But everything good that they'd done prior to that moment was undone with, with these mistakes again. And it must be so frustrating for Chris Hewton, who has to go into the dressing room afterwards and try and maintain a level of confidence in his players, whilst also, you know, outlining clearly that, that these kind of mistakes were unacceptable. I, I, feel, I feel for him at the minute, because I don't know what kind of message he's going to give to his players at a time when confidence is fragile, but the same things are constantly undermining Forrest's performances all the time. He, he must be banging his head against the brick wall. And one of these things that, that I feel is undermining Forrest a bit at the moment, Nick, it is the form of, of Bree Samba. Paul mentioned that he made a couple of good saves, but I, I tweeted last night that that first goal, it was like he had poppadoms on the end of his hands rather than gloves. It, it just looked like a routine stop that went straight through him. And he looks a shadow of the player who was so dominant and so confident last season. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could make excuses for the goal last night, Um you know, came through a few players, you might have seen it late. It was at that sort of awkward place where it's sort of 
if 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 you did if you see it late, it's quite difficult to get down to to save. But it did go more or less straight through him, and it's not the first problem that we've seen with Samba recently. Obviously, um, you know the less said about the Reading game, the better. But um, well, Ryan Yates obviously got a lot of warranted criticism for the daft handball. It only came about because Samba couldn't catch the cross. So. Um, and uh, the, uh, I know a, a few people that I have spoken to have been quite concerned about Samba's distribu- distribution as well. So, you know, if if the goalkeeper's not catching crosses and he's not stopping shots and he's not distributing the ball very well, then, you know, it's uh, it's not it's not a brilliant sign. You know, it's he uh, I've been slightly concerned about his form really ever since um, the the team came. Well, the football came back. Uh, after lockdown in uh, in the summer and last season, now it's might feel a little bit kind of unfair to single one player out in that time because obviously most of them have been terrible. But you could arguably sort of think of it the other way that that if your goalkeeper's form is poor, then that has a sort of knock on effect um, for the rest of the team and um, you know solid foundations and all that if they're not there then what can you expect the rest of the team to do so yeah it's it's it is a bit of a concern um he and like you said he was so kind of reassuring i think that's that you said dominant and i i, I would i would use the word reassuring about samba in the first sort of two thirds of last season because it was just it was just something that you didn't have to worry about. Okay, well, you know, goalkeeper's fine, so let's worry about how the midfield's constructed or, you know, who's playing at fullback, that kind of thing. But without that, it is it just destabilises the rest of the team and I think it's a big factor as to why, um, why Forrest haven't been playing well in the last six months, really. Uh, here's some questions that have come in via Twitter. Ben asks, what will it take to start scoring consistently and most importantly... Winning matches. It's a pretty big question, that Paul. Really, are you are you subscribing to the theory of, or they just need one to go in off somebody's backside? Is it is it going to take Lewis Graben coming back fit and firing, or you know, do we need to look at the fact that Forest have had an incredibly difficult run of fixtures? Without wishing to just be an apologist, the teams that they played in in the last few weeks have all been right up at the top of the table and probably will be all season. So maybe it is just going to take you know games against Sheffield Wednesday and Birmingham and Millwall and teams like this for for them to get the opportunity to find some sort of form we were actually talking about that this morning uh, the fact that there is a supposedly i don't want to say easier run coming up but a less challenging run perhaps uh and you kind of look at that perhaps beyond the brentford game at least and think that should be a source of of, of some points for for forest it's do you know what i find difficult it's just it's still getting my head around the fact that Forrest are in this situation in the first place because, you know, last season it felt like they were so close to, to being a successful side. They, they needed three or four pieces of the jigsaw to be added in the summer. And it's just remarkable what what can happen when you add too many pieces, when you add too many new additions to a squad. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to make excuses or be an apologist, but it was interesting. Uh, a few people were mentioning last night and I spoke to Chris Hutton about it as well, about how COVID has had an impact in it in a way that some might not consider because 
Forest going to training, they, they work together. Uh, these 14 new signings, of course, had the chance to get to know each other on the training ground and, and, you know, when they chat in the dressing room afterwards. But because of COVID, there's nothing more. They, they, can't, they can't go out for a team bonding exercise. They can't go and all of them play golf together. They can't go on a cinema outing. They can't do the kind of things that, that footballers would normally do to get to know each other. During lockdown, they, they're not even allowed to go to each other's houses and, and, and hang out. You know, it's... I question whether th- there's the sense of unity there that there might be in normal circumstances, particularly when you've got players coming from all over the world, from different countries, from different leagues, trying to settle into a new a new country, a, a new style of football under a new manager. And they, they haven't necessarily perhaps got the level of support from their teammates that they, they would normally get. I wonder how much of a, a factor that might be, given that, let's be honest, some of the performances on the pitch haven't suggested that there's that sense of unity and togetherness and team spirit that, that was perhaps there last year under Sabri Lamucci. I, I, I think there's a bigger issue there than goals because they are creating opportunities, not as much as they were, but I, I wonder if there's other factors coming into play that might be affecting their confidence, might be affecting the fact that they look less than the sum of their parts at the minute. It, it's, it, it's hard one to pin down exactly what the issue is. The goals are obviously one of them, but, but the solution to it may be something different. It's interesting that you mentioned that, Paul, the, the, the idea about uh, players haven't been able to uh, you know, bond as much as they had. Um, on the Totally Scottish Football Show, one of the Athletics' other uh, podcasts, uh, Laura Brannan, who works at Motherwell, was making that exact point. So it's not just a kind of... this that As you say, it might seem like a kind of um, a point made to make excuses or be an apologist or something like that but from someone like Laura who works at a football club and has seen that up close it is a kind of real concern I think it is something that they have talked about there and I would presume is a concern that people have talked about at other clubs as well so that I think that is a that's a, a definite factor maybe it doesn't explain you know it, it, that that maybe doesn't explain one point for the last six games but no. it's certainly a, a factor well Farker actually mentioned it after the match as well he was talking about how Norwich at least had the opportunity to go away together to Germany. Uh, Norwich had the chance to go on this uh, pre-season tour and and get to know each other and uh, and have that bonding time. And 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 Forest didn't do that for once. I think they spent a few days at, at St George's Park in in Burton, but that that was about it. it. It was literally two or three days, and 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 that was that. And that was probably before a lot of the new signings had arrived. So. Maybe once lockdown ends, they can go out and have a big night out uh, and, and, and solve it all. I don't know, but uh, I, I wonder how much of an issue it is. A couple more questions to get to. Here's uh, Stuart who says, much like when can you start celebrating Christmas? When can we call this season a write-off? Andrew follows up on that with, do we get the impression that Maranakis and co are understanding about the challenge we face now? Or is the goal still laughably promotion or else? which seems to be the case. Chris Eaton was saying he's not prepared to accept it's a relegation battle yet last night, wasn't he, Paul? But we're getting to the point where it can't be too far away that that, that is what this season is going to be based around. Yeah. I, I, Chris Hewton has spoken previously. I know he spoke about it last night, but I've had conversations with him before where he quite candidly admitted that player confidence and, and player belief is a key factor in manager comments on this kind of front because once you admit that it's a relegation battle, once you say, yeah, we're in a mess here, it can dent belief. And his personal feeling was that there was still belief and confidence in the dressing room and he didn't want to risk damaging that by saying, yes, we're in a relegation battle. I, I, he's He's been around long enough. He's not naive. He will know what the situation is. He He's not in denial. What he is, is he's trying to put an arm around his players, trying to look after them a little bit by not making light of the situation but 
trying to accentuate the positives rather than focusing on the negatives, if you like. And and he did speak quite well last night. He he, he does have a habit of talking a lot without saying a great deal, as, as probably I do right now. Uh, but uh, he, I can understand where he's coming from. You don't want to do anything that's going to damage already fragile confidence. And saying yes, we're frankly in the shit, isn't going to help that. Uh, trying to maintain a level of belief from what were what was a very positive performance against Watford and what was uh, a performance that contained some encouraging factors last night amid some familiar negatives. I think if he can ensure that they still stay in a positive mindset, when you go into games against Sheffield Wednesday and Millwall, Birmingham, Stoke, Preston, even Cardiff in the FA Cup, I, I think it's only going to help. It is just going to take a couple of wins, a couple of positive results and hopefully, hopefully, things will change more generally and, and we can start to look upwards. Not at promotion. I think that's probably, I think the top six finish is probably gone if we're honest, but but the sooner they can put this, the idea that they're in the relegation fight to bed, the sooner they can put that behind them, uh, all the better. Uh, Nick, here's a great point that's coming from Jamie. He says, the strange thing is if they, they being the owners, had adopted an evolution, not revolution approach back in 2018, rather than a new blueprint every six months, we'd almost certainly be in a better position right now. Impatience has been the undoing of this regime. Um, not just this regime, I would argue, but Forrest over the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean, the, so you could apply that point to you know pretty much any point in the... Um, well, I mean, not uh, not any point. I don't think anyone anyone wanted us to, you know, keep patience with Gary Megson. Not joking here. But if the the owners had been more patient with, you know, Sean O'Driscoll, if the owners had been going way back to Paul Hart, a bit more more patient. Um, it's always the thing, and it's always one of the it's always the the sort of sliding doors moment across all football, really. That, um, you know. If only the club hadn't panicked at this stage, or if only this relationship hadn't broken down, um, you know, of of course we would have loved Forrest to have been more patient with certain managers and with you know sets of players as well. Um, we've talked, you know, obviously we've talked about the the squad churn uh, over the last couple of years a lot, but yeah, I mean, if only Forrest had been more patient many many times in the the recent history. Lastly, on, on Wednesday night's game, all sort of loosely related, Paul, Joe Worrell, unlucky to see the ball deflect off him and in for, for the winning goal. I see those rumours of him going to Burnley have resurfaced this week. <laughs> um, a couple of questions on that. Do Forrest need to sell somebody to, to balance the books? And, and would he be interested in that? I mean, he might just end up back in the Championship next year if he goes to Burnley. Surely he could set his heights a bit higher than that, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we did an interview with, with Joe only a few weeks ago and he was as ever he's he's a joy to interview because he's just so open and honest and speaks so passionately all the time but after we'd turned off the recording machine and and, and we just stayed sat chatting for a, a good half hour maybe even an hour I'm, I'm not quite sure it was it was I wish I'd left it recording because he came out with some even better stuff afterwards and he was talking about this desire he's got two key desires he has one is he wants to be the regular captain of nottingham forest and two uh he, he wants to help them to promotion uh, i i think equally the, the under uh, there's an underlying feeling there as well of course that he, he is an ambitious man I, I don't doubt that he wants to play in the premier league i don't doubt if one of the bigger clubs in the premier league came calling he would want to give it some very serious thought as an opportunity to take up but he's also very very driven 
about achieving those things with Nottingham Forest, the, the club that he used to be a ball boy for when he was a kid, the club that he came through the ranks with uh, in, the, in the academy for years and years before finally getting his chance to play for the club. I, I think he takes genuine pride in pulling on the Forest shirt. And when he ran on the pitch last night, I don't know if it was a subconscious thing or, or not, but he, he, he was sort of playing with and kind of caressing the armband as he ran on, like as if to say, yeah, I'm Forest captain and I'm running on the pitch. I, th I think he really loves it. Uh, and he, he plays with determination and grit and like somebody who really would put himself on the line for the club. So I don't think he would actually be in a massive rush to leave Forest, particularly not for Burnley. And I, I've put myself on the line there because, you know, January always holds strange events. But I, I don't think it, I think it would take something special to drag him away at the minute. I, I think he's pretty committed to Forest. And unless they said, look, we've had this massive bid, we want to accept it, your time's up. You've got to move on for the sake of the club. I, I don't think he'd be a rush to go in anywhere. I don't. I don't think he'll be banging on Chris Hutton's door saying, "I want to go to Burnley in January." Put it that way. Yeah, let's hope not, because he's been one of the few bright spots this season. Well, it doesn't get any easier for the Reds. They take on Brentford at the City Ground this weekend. We'll look ahead to that and the midweek assignment against Sheffield Wednesday next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, listener, this will make you chuckle. Forrest beat Brentford twice to nil, no less, last season. Uh, will that happen this term? Almost certainly not. It won't stop us previewing the game set for this coming Saturday. That was the bees buzz over to the world-famous city ground. Um I wonder, Paul, before we get to the nuts and bolts of the game, was there any thought that Forrest might make a bid for Ivan Tony in the summer? Or was he always bound for, for West London? Because he has been sensational since he came uh, into the Championship from Peterborough. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure he was one of the ones on their list, to be honest. I think I think Taylor was always the one that, that they really wanted and had been working on for some time. Uh, I think they always get put off with, with, with players like him because uh, they're such, such good negotiators, Peterborough, aren't they? And they always get... Their, uh, their money's worth. I, I suppose they did do a really good deal for Brita Sambalonga, a deal that worked out well for everybody because Forrest made their money on him as well. Uh, but no, I'm not I'm not sure he was one that was at the top of their list, but crikey, they, he has turned out to be an absolutely outstanding signing for them, hasn't he? I, it, it, it is somebody they're going to have to try and keep quiet uh, at the weekend, it goes without saying. Nick, they're a really good team, really good squad. I was just looking back at that that game last year at the City Ground. It took place in October. At that time, Brentford was 17th. They'd won three of their opening 11 games. They stuck with Thomas Frank and he, and he got them to within 90 minutes of the Premier League. Feels like there's a lesson for Forrest there. Uh, our old friend Patience again. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose it's, it's slightly difficult to apply that to, to Forrest's situation this summer, um, you know, we, we we all loved Sabri, but it, it was clear it wasn't you know things didn't really seem to be improving. So you know it's a little bit difficult to um, 
uh, a, uh, apply that to Lamucci or, or this year at Forest, but certainly, certainly in the past. And Brentford are just a club that I, I know it's a it's a bit of a cliche now, but they're just a club that everyone could admire and wish that they were a little bit more like. I mean, you know, they 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 have been up there uh, in the. Uh, around the top of the championship for for a long time now and I'd still have them as one of my favourites to go up this season as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, In terms of team news then, Paul, McKenna, Colback, Graben, any of those likely to feature at the weekend, do you think? I guess McKenna probably the closest? Uh, Yeah, McKenna's McKenna's probably got a chance. Uh, Colback, definitely no. Uh, Luke Freeman is going to be out for a little while as well, which is uh, a blow. I know he's not shown a great deal yet in the performances he's had for Forest so far, but... I remain convinced that he'll, he he was a decent signing and they just need to get him fit. They are missing his kind of creative flair, if you like. I know Anthony Knockhart started to show that he can do it and, and more of that, please. But but Luke Freeman is a is a big miss as well, I think. Uh, and he, he's, he's got a groin problem that I, Chris Hewton didn't fill me with great hope when he said... Uh, in in the pre-match build-up, he said something along the lines of, "We hope his injury is not as bad as we think," uh, which doesn't fill you with with hope as to uh, when he might be back. Lewis Graben's the big one. I know, I know it's a very obvious point to make, but he was somebody who thrived off very few opportunities last season, and you'd hope that uh, whilst he didn't start this current campaign brilliantly, if we're honest, I think he went five or six games without scoring. Uh, having somebody like him back in the team, and if the chances that fell to Amiobi, for example, fell to Lewis Graben. Uh, you would you would be hopeful that he'd stick them away, and it's small things like that. Uh, and I don't I don't want to sound like Mark Warburton. Please please don't make me sound like Mark Warburton. <laughs> but it, it it is small margins at the minute. You know, those ga- those moments like the ones that Amiobi had last night, the few sights of goal he had. If if one of those had gone in, uh, if the the chance that Taylor had at, at Reading just prior to them. Uh, prior to the catastrophic incident that really t- changed the course of the game, if, if Taylor had stuck that away, you wonder if things might be different. Uh, not heaping blame entirely on his shoulders or those of Amiobi, but having Graben back would be a big, big boost. And let's hope he's he's back sooner rather than later. On midfield, Nick, Jack's been in touch. He's musing on the lack of creativity in that position. Says we have lots of the same type of player, Yates, Colback, Arter, etc. Might Brennan Johnson or Marcus McWayne be able to add something different if they return from loan? And we, we've spoken about Johnson before. McWayne's an interesting one, though. He's at, he's at Oxford in League One. Somebody who was, was highly touted and has been abroad in his development as well. Do you think that Forrest are likely to be recalling players like that or are they just going to sign some Premier League journeyman on vast wages instead. You fear the latter. I mean, it, the, 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 I say fear the latter. It's, it might not be um, might not be the best move to bring. I, I think Brennan Johnson's a little bit further uh, further along. I think he's, uh, as we spoke about was it last week or the week before, slightly more likely to be recalled. I think it's possibly slightly more likely to make a, a sort of immediate impact in, on the first team. McGuire, I'm not too sure about. Um, he's sort of a slightly different player to Johnson. Maybe he's the sort of thing that um, Forrest needs, sort of creative, create creative wise. Um, it's, I mean, I think that, that, that there is. I mean, Miguel Guerrero played a couple of games as the number ten and looked quite promising. I mean, he, he I think he had a. a Bit of an injury problem, so he hasn't. That's why he wasn't in the team. But if he was, in, he was in the. He's on the bench last night, wasn't he? Um, so I mean, hopefully he can come back in the team. I mean, I know he wasn't. I know he wasn't a perfect player, but um, I. Uh, it, it's still 
there's still a little sadness in my heart that Thiago Silva isn't still around and um, couldn't we couldn't call on him for a little bit of spark. But I think Brennan Johnson's more likely to have an immediate impact on the team if they can recall him in January. I just love um, McGuane's career path. Arsenal, Barcelona B, Telstar, Forest, Oxford. Um, it's a, <laughs> a well-trodden one, sort of. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday then, after Brentford. That's coming up midweek. Looks like a game that Forest might actually be able to, to win. And, and Paul, parallels between them and Forest this season, both kind of stinking out the championship, both appointed vastly experienced managers, yet to find the right formula. But, but this will be one that Chris Hewton's looking at and thinking, OK, if we are ever going to win a game, maybe this will be the match. <laughs> yes, it'd be typical Forest for them to go and beat Brentford before that. You know, how many times have we underestimated them or or, or gone into a game thinking they've got no chance here and they go and prove us wrong? Uh, but yeah, uh, if if they can't beat Sheffield Wednesday, then blimey, I think even my overly optimistic mood might be reduced to a bit more level, a bit more bleakness. Again, without harping the point too much, it, it, we never expected Forest to be in this position, and and for Forest to be going into what could be a relegation three pointer. Is, is just, it's depressing. It is depressing. It's like, how did we get to this point? And I, I know we overanalyze things and look back at where things have gone wrong too much, but hopefully that'll be the night where they get three points and we can start talking about where things are getting better and perhaps a, a, a road to improvement. But uh, yeah, fingers, fingers crossed, because that's starting to feel like a massive game already, particularly if they don't get the result that they want this weekend. Uh, Nick, I always think about Paul McGregor's sensational overhead kick, about 7-1 wins at Hillsborough, all that, all that good stuff when it's Forest versus Sheffield Wednesday. I actually looked at the recent head-to-head between them. Forest have won one of the last 11 and they got gubbed 4-0 in this fixture last season. Maybe my, my slight sense of optimism is misplaced. Yeah, I've, I was at that 7-1 uh, at Sheffield Wednesday in what was that 1995 but I don't know what it says about my personality but when I think of Forrest playing away uh, against Sheffield Wednesday I think of that there was an early game in the um, in the first relegation season under under Clough where even me aged nine or ten at the time thought mm, playing pretty badly here this could this could be trouble um, I think I think it was Teddy Sheringham's last game for Forrest um, so uh, yes bad records there recently and um, weirdly despite that one fantastic win that I was there for slightly bad memories of the of uh, Forest playing at Sheffield Wednesday myself as well well the good news is that this game's at the city ground so that means that Forest are definitely going to win it probably um, okay <laughs> we're on the home stretch now before we go though there's still time to ask did they really play for Forest Uh, last week's radical format shift for this feature was branded a huge success in my house, uh, so we're sticking <laughs> with it. Nick will provide a series of clues to the identity of a Forest player who didn't have the most memorable of stints on Trent's side, and Paul and I will try and guess who they are. Um, keeping score, not important in this kind of thing, but I did win last week, so so the pressure's <laughs> on. on Paul. Uh, Nick, let's have your first clue. Right, well, uh, this, uh, this, this, I'll warn you in advance, this, this choice could prove slightly controversial because he's actually played quite a few games for Forest, but still, I don't remember any of them, so it counts. Uh, so the first clue, I made my Premiership debut, which coincidentally was against Forest, in the same team as Teddy Sheringham, and I made my final ever senior appearance in the same team as Emile Sinclair. Two Forest striking greats there. Prattley? No. Matt, any <laughs> guesses? Uh, Marlon Harewood? No. 
was a terrible guess. <laughs> he made his premiership debut for Forest, Matt. Come on. Yeah. Um, clue two. When I signed for Forest, it was my third spell working with the that manager. Andy Impey? No. Not Andy Impey. It's not going great because I got it at this point last week, Paul. No. I've, I've got this. I think it's worth pointing out that Andy Impey's a guess every week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Adonis is right. I'm always going to guess Andy Impey until Andy Impey is right one week. Um, let's have the next... Let's have the next Make it Andy Impey next week and I'll guess it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't do that now. Uh, okay, here's here's one that might narrow it down a little bit more. I've been on the bench in both a Champions League and a Europa League final. Oh, wow. Jonathan Greening. It's Jonathan Greening. Oh. Well done, Matthew. Yes. Named my yeah. first car after him. It was a green Fiat Punto that I bought for £500. I tweeted him a picture of it and said, I've got this car and I'll call it Jonathan Greening. And he said, that's nice. <laughs> Close personal connection with uh, with the great man there. He, yeah, he, yeah, he was an interesting character. He was. He, he used to drive a mini, which which made you think he was quite down to earth, uh, particularly given that he was in the same squad as people who drove Bentleys. Uh, but then then Ben Osborne once told me a great story about how they shared a hotel room prior to a game once, and he was just tootling away on the internet. Uh, both of them were, uh, and and Jonathan Greeny asked Ben Osborne what he was looking for, and he says, "Oh, I'm just trying to." find a new pair of trainers uh he says what what are you trying to find he says oh a new granite staircase with a wine cellar lovely so he was he was on the bench for man united in 99 didn't he and he got a medal despite not having played a minute in the competition is that right Yep, that's right. And he was also uh on the bench and actually got uh, he came on in uh the Europa League final for Fulham uh, when they lost to Atletico Madrid, wasn't it? They lost to yeah, about two thousand and ten. So yeah, there you go. The other, the other clues were for the record. My other clubs include Middlesbrough, West Brom, and Fulham. And I played in the brief but glorious Steve McLaren era. Um, Paul, you've got some late breaking news for us. Yes, uh, in in remarkable news, as seems to be typical luck for Forest, they're actually going to be fined by the Football League for for their reaction to uh, Nate Chalabar not being sent off at, at, at Watford. He against Watford. He he basically committed at least three, if not four, yellow card offences, but somehow managed to stay on the pitch, uh, which which annoyed everybody that wasn't wearing a yellow shirt. Uh, and uh, it, it seems incredible that, that, that Forrest is now going to get salt rubbed in the wound by, by getting a fine to, to, to make things worse, which is, which is lovely. I, I don't remember the reaction being that bad. I, I, I sort of remember it being fairly standard reaction to you know someone not getting sent off for an opponent ploughing through one of our players' ankles. That's... I think Harry Harry Arter got in the ref's face a little bit, and I think he got a booking for it at the time. Uh, and and quite rightly, there were a few other players who were genuinely furious. Uh, but yeah, uh, just seems typical of Forest look so far, doesn't it? Yeah, I ever get the feeling it's going to be one of those seasons. Um, all right, that's going to do it for us this week. Paul, tell us what, what Forest uh, fans who subscribe to The Athletic can read from you at the moment. The, the Brennan Johnson piece seems to have slipped under the radar a little bit. I really enjoyed writing that piece, and that seems to have gone uh, without without much attention. Uh, beyond that, uh, what I've done today is a look at uh, the key issues that, uh, that, that the manager needs to solve if he's going to get Forrest moving in the right direction. I, I think there's many, many problems, obviously, uh, Forrest, but the key issues that, that, that Chris Hooter needs to solve, things like, have they replaced Ben Watson? How does he cut out the mistakes so far? You know, 
what's going off with the the team unity and things like that uh that hopefully uh provides a bit of color to follow on from what was a very disappointing and frustrating night at norwich uh nick you've been podding your tush off meanwhile uh, I have yes. Um, my one of my day job is um, uh, producing various different sorts of podcasts. The, the latest one, which will be uh, out by the time this podcast is out, is about uh, Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. Um, if you search for Beyond the Headline on your favourite pod provider, or of course on the Athletic, it's a two-part podcast looking at. Guardiola signing a new contract at Manchester City and whether that is actually good news, uh, the, the, whether that is actually the good news that it would ostensibly um, feel like. So we've spoken to uh, a number of people who know much more about the situation than I do. And uh, yeah, that's a two-part podcast beyond the headline. Listen now. Good stuff. Remember right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Wave goodbye to 2020. Say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It's the perfect present for yourself and someone else. Just go to theathletic.com slash forestpod. That's theathletic.com slash forestpod and sign up now. Many thanks to Nick, Paul, producer Adonis, to Matt for joining us earlier too. Mainly though to you, listener. Stay safe. We'll catch up with you again next week. For now though, it's goodbye.